Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Grain markets reacted favorably on Thursday after the USDA surprised the trade with some of the January report numbers. Welcome into Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today. I am your host, Jesse Allen, and we have a very busy show on tap for you today as we take a look at the January USDA reports the World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report, quarterly grain stocks, winter wheat seedings all released on Thursday, and USDA gave us a few surprises. We're going to talk about the markets, the uh, wrap-up of trade on Thursday, get some analysis and more coming up here on the show today. Christy Van On, she said Van On and Company going to join us here in segment two and three to discuss the market trade, provide her reaction and analysis to the reports. Coming up at the end of the show, Kevin McNew, Chief Economist with the Farmers Business Network, will join us as well to provide his thoughts and reaction to the USDA numbers as well as Uh, talk about a recent global outlook report that FBN released and how that correlates with the USDA numbers. So we'll get to all of that and more on the way here throughout the show today. Kicking things off, though, today here on the show, Arlen Suderman of StoneX, Chief Commodities Economist. I talked to Arlen around midday on Thursday, about an hour after the release of the WASD numbers and the quarterly grain stocks and winter wheat seedings numbers. And Arlen and I talk about the surprises that were seen from USDA. We look at some of the uh, numbers that were being watched closely as we headed into the report, including the South American production numbers. Also get Arlen's thoughts on what these numbers mean for the grain trade here moving forward and not to forget we also saw the consumer price index released on thursday morning that cpi data how did that weigh into the broader commodity sector we get thoughts and analysis right now with arlen suderman of stone x well, I think the biggest surprise is you actually have to go, um, and there were numerous ones, I don't know which, but uh, the quarterly stocks report, uh, that was positive for all three of the major grains. Wheat came in about 64 million bushels below the average trade gas. Corn stocks on December 1st came in um, 300, and doing some math real quick here, about, about 360 million bushels Um, below what the trade was anticipating. And soybeans came in about uh, 110 million bushels below what the trade is expecting. Uh, Then you go to the uh, supply and demand production estimates, and USDA cut 1.6 million acres off of harvested corn. Um, Didn't change planted, but harvested corn, corn that was abandoned, in other words. And, and that would be in the western ag belt where the drought was most intense. It cut 300,000 off of soybeans harvested and 900,000 off of grain sorghum. So the drought really having an impact there. On the yield side, 
they went up on corn, went down on soybeans, if you will, came in eight-tenths of a bushel above the average trade guess and a full bushel above their November estimate for the corn yield at 173.3. And on soybeans, they dropped it to 49.5 bushels per acre, uh, which is down from 50.2 last month or in November and below the average trade guess of 50.3. So a lot of surprises in here. More friendly than not, and one more we should say is total winter wheat acres, 36.95 million acres, up from 33.27 last year, and up from the average trade guess of 34.485, so about 2.5 million above the average trade guess. But there's going to be a big difference between seeded winter wheat acres and actually harvested winter wheat acres in the high plains. How about South American numbers? I know we were watching to see what USDA would do, especially in Argentina. Fairly sizable cut to soybean production uh, for Argentina. Corn production, uh, the cut there matched trade expectations, it looked like. In Brazil, soybean crop increased a little, corn down a little. It's kind of my just general assessment of that. What are your thoughts with the South American numbers? Yeah, let's start with the baseline of where USDA was at for Argentina. They were at 55 million metric tons for corn and 49.5 for soybeans. We got the Rosario Grain Exchange estimates that came out late yesterday, dropping corn to 45, so that would be down 10 million metric tons, and soybeans at 37 million metric tons, so that'd be down 12.5. USDA didn't expect to be that aggressive this early, and, and I think that's understandable. They did pretty much what I expected. They came down 3 million on the corn to 52, and came down, uh, what, 4 million on soybeans to 45.5. You mentioned Brazil, <clears throat> USDA going down 1 million metric tons to 125 on corn. We think that's a little on the light side right now. That's mostly due to losses for the first crop corn. We think that's a, they're maybe cutting out a little bit too much. On soybeans, they're at 153 million metric tons. That's up 1 million metric tons from last month. They're really coming up toward our estimate there. We're at 153.8. I think that was probably justifiable. Now, Arlen, overall, it appears the reaction, initial reaction anyway, is fairly positive in corn and beans, and wheat just kind of choppy around unchanged, it feels like right now. As, as we get all these numbers assessed, the feeling in this market moving forward, would you agree that this feels kind of positive, at least in the short term for corn and beans to start? Well, I definitely do. I think it's puts a lot more focus now on on the Argentine drought. Um, I think probably more than is needed if we have a big Brazilian crop, but it is the perception is reality in the market, and perception is now that the short Argentine crop is going to be a big problem. On the wheat side, the trade um, is trying to get a handle on the increased acres versus the tighter stocks that we have for old crop and increased feed usage. I think we're going to be looking at increased feed usage for corn as well overall. Even though we're down on animal units, USDA was too aggressive in cutting. So this is a market that has good support now, and we've refocused on the fundamentals of generally tight global corn supplies, um, tight soybean supplies, and we may be finding an area of value on wheat right now. 
And I shouldn't discount this either. Real briefly, I know we had CPI economic data out this morning that's been uh, kind of worked its way into the trade here. And, and I know the focus is on USDA numbers right now, but we don't want to discredit uh, and discount the impact of those CPI numbers uh, getting thrown into the trade as well today. Yeah, absolutely. The CPI uh, consumer price index, inflation at the consumer level, dropping one-tenth of a percent in December, first month-on-month drop in two years. Um, And so that's seen as good news. I still see some problems in there with service sector and shelter prices continuing to go up. And the big reason for the drop is a drop in energy prices. And if we see this economic recovery in China coming out from COVID, we could see those energy prices come under some significant upward pressure if if demand rebounds faster and supply can. And again, that is comments and analysis with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Talk to him around midday on Thursday after the release of the USDA reports for the month of January. Coming up, we are going to talk more about the USDA reports and take a look at how the trade reacted and what things look like now moving forward. Christy Van On, she sits with Van On and Company. She joins us next, back with more market talk on the way right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us here today with market analysis, a big, big day on Thursday with the USDA reports, a slew of data out into the market. We had economic reports out Thursday morning as well. And overall, fairly positive reaction, at least in the grains and oil seeds, when it was all said and done on Thursday. Joining us, Christy Van On, she's at Van On and Company. Christy, happy new year to you. Great to have you back on the show. You too. It's great. Well, Christy, let's jump right in and talk about what we saw on Thursday. And uh, we were talking before we jumped on air. So many surprises from USDA. Um, I don't even know where to start. So I will, um, I guess, just looking at this thing as a whole. I, I mean, overall, we could go a bunch of different ways. But those ending stocks numbers, I think that had to be one of the biggest surprises we saw on Thursday when it was all said and done, Christy. Yeah, it's, you know, this is what makes my job fun is that every day can be a little bit different. And today's one of those opportunities that you got a lot of information to digest. And you're exactly right. When you look down at carryout levels of of where we are, you came into this report, everyone expecting to see slight increases in carryout levels. You know, that was across the board. You really thought you would see that. And what we ended up getting was slight decreases. And it wasn't so much that it was a huge number change. It was mostly the fact that like you just had a lot of people wrong. Like a lot of people had guessed this market wrong, had anticipated to see uh, higher carryouts. And we could see that. We could see that coming into this report with the sell-off that we've seen in wheat, with the sell-off that we've seen in corn. We're 35 cents off um, the recent high in, in the corn market. And so I think you just really started to see that. And the more you digested into these numbers, the more you kind of saw that there was friendly tidbits kind of sprinkled everywhere um, for a lot of these markets, not so much for wheat. um, But when you look at corn and beans, you had some really friendly numbers in there. And so if we wanted to, you know, break it down and start with corn, one of the things looking at corn is um, right away, I noticed that they increased uh, the yield of a bushel. um, Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
what in the world are they doing? But I also noticed that they took harvested acres down. Uh, I think it was 1.6 million acres of harvested uh, down. And so when you ended up coming with it, you ended up seeing uh, a net decrease in production uh, and giving it that that friendly characteristic. And then what you ended up seeing below that was that to keep carryout levels somewhat similar to where we've been in the past, they ended up cutting 185 million bushel of demand uh, month over month to kind of offset some of that change. But we still saw that net decrease. And, you know, they took 150 million bushels away from exports. That does not surprise me. You know, Mm -hmm. our exports have been lacking. Hopefully we can see them start to pick up. Uh, You've had some friendly rhetoric around the talks between Mexico and the U.S. about their GMO policies and Mexico's kind of pushed it off. And so I hope that you can see that because Mexico has been one of our top corn buyers, you know, for the last few years, besides this uh, change of pace from China. Uh, So that doesn't surprise me. But you also saw feed use drop 25 million bushel. And that one kind of surprised me because when you look at it, feed use is over 400 million bushel lower year over year. And we know that we have herd reduction. We know that we're battling that. But you might be looking at it and saying, is USDA kind of thinking possibly the poultry side of things might be more of an issue moving forward with bird flu? Are you seeing that kind of change the pace? But overall, what we do know in both corn and soybeans is USDA had to cut a lot of demand to keep carryouts from being drastically lower. And so Mm -hmm. when you look at the comparison of corn demand year over year, I mean, we're over a billion bushel less corn demand than we were a year ago. Now, you know that a lot of that's going to be taken out of feed and a lot of that's taken out of exports due to China just not being as active. But you look at it and you kind of see that dynamic. Um, We really have to scale back on the demand side moving forward over the next four to six months um, or you're going to have a much different situation. So the the supply and demand side of things, the carryout levels itself, when you look at that number are overly friendly, it's what they had to do to get to that number that give you the friendly atmosphere and kind of that same situation when you look at soybeans. Mm-hmm. Uh, soybeans ended up coming in here, uh, dropping harvested acres, dropping your bushels um, and coming down and dropping 55 million bushel of export demand off of soybeans. And that one caught me off guard because we have been actually doing fairly well on our export pace. And my logic, the logic I can think of is that you potentially could be coming in here and saying, hey, okay, we know that Brazil is going to have a good crop. We're going to lose some demand because Brazil is going to take away those soybeans. And that might be the case. But overall, we have been keeping up with our export pace and we've been keeping up with our shipment pace. Right. Mm -hmm. When you look at where we are for exports inspections that come out every Monday, we are getting these soybeans out the door, which means that number is not going to change. So that one caught me off a little bit, you know, I, it caught me off guard. And when you look at it, if they hadn't have made that change, you would have been looking at a carryout level well into, you know, 175 million bushel area. And mm-hmm. so you look at those numbers and the carryout levels aren't all that like eye opening until you dig into what USDA did to get them there. Always feels like they find a way to massage these numbers to make yeah. them work for lack of a, a better way right. to explain that. They just they, they find a way, it seems, to make them work somehow, some way. And, and I would say, obviously, beans and, and especially old crop corn, uh, really a good bullish reaction to the reports, the entire soy complex for that matter. So I, I guess with quarter beans, I'll save wheat here for a minute. Let's let's look at this overall now that we have these numbers out, 
what what in your mind changes or doesn't change risk management wise if i got core beans if i'm holding on to old crop right now if i'm thinking about new crop sales does anything change with i'm with my mindset right now yeah, the way I look at it right now, we'll start with corn is that corn has found itself a very decent range. Like it's found that six or yeah, 650 wants to hold. It's found that 680 seems to be that like top level of resistance. And so you're essentially in a 30 cent range right now into the corn market. And until it can break out of that range, I'm I'm really just letting it work, right? You need cash flow purposes. I have no problem selling corn here. Um, if it breaks out of 680, I would probably look at buying it back. Uh, if it doesn't, you know, I'm not in a rush to buy it back right now. And I think you've, you've really done a great job. The corn market has defining this range and saying, this is where kind of we get some selling pressure. This is where buyers want to stop in. We got just below 650 here this morning prior to the report. And so I don't think it changes a whole lot. I, same situation for new crop corn. It's really found its range in between that 590 seems to be a huge level of, of support for them. And so until it can prove itself, um, I'm going to just let it be, right? Um, and I think, you know, for the most part, it's proving that, you know, soybeans are a little bit of a different situation. Soybeans, you look at that $15 mark, and it's really been that psychological level of resistance that we've struggled to get through. Um, we are through that now. Um, and so now you need to look at it and you need to say, hey, okay, we're, we're through that. 1520 is another level, um, you know, not a psych level, but a, a technical target that seems to be holding this market in check. We got through it today, ended up closing below it. And so those are kind of the levels that I'm watching. You know, we want to be 100% sold in, in old crop soybeans right now. But the producers that I have that don't want to be there, I'm not fighting them on it. And what I'm saying is watch $15, right? It took a it took quite a bit to get through 15 now that we're through it, let's let it be a support shelf. Let's see if we hold on to $15. If we break below $15, let's sell the rest of those beans. I'm willing to risk that 18 cents that we really have between where we are now and $15 to see if this market can make something of itself. What we've seen so far is that the rallies are limited right now when you look at these markets. They want to get up and going. They have the fundamental backing to say, hey, you know, we have some tight situations. They have the seasonal backing to say this is a great seasonal time frame to get up and running. But there's just something missing. And part of that might be managed money, not being as active, not being those big buyers. But there's something missing when you look at this market to get up and going. So until we can get through, I like to use the term like cautiously optimistic. And I feel mm -hmm. like people like to like judge me on that and say, hey, you're just like kind of flirting the line. But until it can show me that it can get through those levels, I'm going to just let it be and let it rest and let it carve out that range. Well, again, we're being joined by Christy Van On. She sits with Van On and Company. We're going to continue our conversation with her coming up after the break. A few of the closes, the grain numbers from Thursday, March quarter up 15, 671. July quarter up 13, 661 and a half. Soybeans, March up 25 and a half, 15, 18 and a half. July up 20 and three quarters, 15, 18 and a half. We saw as well soybean meal for March. That was up 670 at 481.30 a ton. March beet oil up 114.6325. 
March, Chicago be two and three quarters higher, 742 and three quarters. July up to 754 and a quarter. March, Kansas City wheat up 12 and three quarters at 835. Also for Kansas City wheat for July, that was up 11, 827 and a half. March spring wheat up 13, 912 and a quarter. July up eight and a half, 901 and a quarter. We'll take a look at the livestock closes and continue our conversation with Christy coming up here after the break as we're back with more market talk of the way right after this. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit FSPropane.com for more information. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We're joined today by Christy Van On. She's at Van On, a company with market analysis, South American weather too. I have to feel like that's going to become the headline once again here. I know we had the Argentine production cuts from USDA following the Rosario grain exchange cuts. So I know that's a situation that bears watching and feels like that's going to be the probably the big driver now that we've got the reports from USDA out and digested into the trade. Right. Yeah. So every year, or it seems like at least the last few years, you've had that story east versus west in the U.S. And mm -hmm. we're starting to get that story again here in South America, where it's Argentina against Brazil. And you're starting to see those aggressive cuts come into Argentina. And you're starting to see the production slowly increase in Brazil. And what we know from previous previous times is that people are quick to cut production, but slow to give it back and slow to increase production. And so we need to see that relationship between the two. And in the end of it, you know, can you see Brazil make up for what Argentina is missing? That could possibly be the story. But the bigger story is there are two different beasts, right? Brazil is going to be our competitor for exports. And you're going to see Argentina be the issues that you have is going to be byproduct, more meal driven rallies. And we've seen that when soybeans have fallen off recently, meal has still been able to hang on. And so it's a much different dynamic between the two. You like to relate them, but they really are completely different situations. And so I think that is the biggest thorn in soybean side right now is the fact that Brazil, who's a direct competitor with us for exports, is having a good crop year. And this is your first time that you've seen people start to acknowledge it and start to increase those production levels. You know, oddly enough, you did see a decrease in production here um, from USDA for Brazil corn. That's a ways off, right? We have a long time before we're going to start talking about Safrina corn crop. Um, but you do have good conditions in Brazil. You have good rains coming for them. And you have the potential to have a big crop being able to be planted here for the Safrina corn crop. So I did feel like those cuts were a little uh, premature, but you have a lot to give yet when you look at that dynamic. And there's a lot of unknowns when you look at Brazil, like everything on paper looks good. We've had some, some dry patches, mm -hmm. but for the most part, you've had that. When you move forward, we're going to start getting real yield estimates. And that's going to be the actual story moving forward. Christy, moving over to wheat. 
There were some numbers in that winter weed seedings report that were uh, a bit of an eye catch for me. Uh, man, uh, just trying to sift through those numbers. It ended up being a positive day in the wheat markets overall. But you look at those numbers, what stood out to you with the winter wheat seedings and just the wheat picture in general after USDA's reports? Yeah, so wheat, um, as I'm scrolling through, and you know, like this report gives you so many numbers. So you're you're scrolling through everything. And I see like 37 million acres of winter wheat planted pop up. And I'm like, oh, that's a typo. And I keep scrolling. And then I realize it's not a typo. And you really did have 37 million acres, just shy, uh, 37 million acres of winter wheat planted. And that is three and a half million acres more than last year. And close to that, over 3 million acres more than the previous year. So there's a lot of winter wheat that got planted. And so it makes it that much more important that we're paying attention to your winter wheat conditions that are not great, right? And the big mm -hmm. question is, what do you see with those acres? Are you going to see them stay winter wheat? Or are you going to have some abandonment? And I think that itself obviously was bearish. I think in general, you had some bearish information out of this report for wheat. But wheat is that like, you know, that type that does not want to be left at the party alone, right? It wants to be the fun one. If everyone else is having fun, it's going to have fun too. And so once you saw soybeans and corn both higher on the day, wheat really struggled to stay lower and able to work its way higher. What we did see out of, of grain stocks is we have 7% less wheat on hand than we had a year ago at this time frame. So, you know, that itself is, is friendly, but 32% more wheat being held by farmers right now than a year ago. And I think that's a key thing to look at if you are a producer is that we have this, this whole wheat logic that there's that bullish, you want to be bullish wheat. You see the news with Russia and Ukraine. You see the dynamics happening in the U.S. We have tight carryouts and you want to be bullish wheat. And it's proven itself wrong over and over and over again. And now what we end up having is you know, a lot of wheat held on farms right now. And we also have that that same logic that probably ended up having a lot of winter wheat be planted on the bullishness that you thought could happen. And I'm not ruling that out. Wheat showed great strength today. This is a seasonal time frame that's great. The Russia-Ukraine situation is still a real crisis when you look at it, but we haven't really seen demand prove itself. Basis levels are nothing to be excited about. And it proved to us that there's a lot of wheat still sitting to be sold by farmers. And so that was a little bit of a disappointing factor when you looked at winter wheat, planted acreage, what we have on the farm right now. But overall, wheat, I have a feeling where you are as far as given the price of wheat right now, you're going to struggle to see that fall off if the rest of the markets are going to be able to rally. I think it's going to be a follower. Interesting tidbit about farmers holding wheat because i know corn of bean wise we have seen some increased farmers selling after the first of the year which is not you know that's that's typical we get a new calendar year get new cash flows we start to see more of that farmer selling but it sounds like not a lot of wheat being moved by the farmer right now i just i, I think that is interesting compared to quarter beans right now christy yeah you know for example when you look at you know obviously when or spring wheat you don't have a ton of it in minnesota you're getting a little bit more here in the central and western part around us and towards the dakotas but you look at north dakota and south dakota um they had a great wheat crop the yields for spring wheat were absolutely phenomenal some of the best i've ever heard in my career and so i think that you have that being held right now and you don't really have a cash flow crunch for producers you know mm -hmm. they have 
corn and bean sales that have been very phenomenal. You have corn and bean that they can sell right now for some great profitability. And so I think wheat, you're looking at it and you're saying, hey, I still make money at this level, but it's not great. The basis is terrible. Uh, I'm looking at a product that's well off of where I could have sold it in the summer. If I don't need to sell it for cash flow purposes, why am I going to sell it? And I think that's what's happening for that mentality. And that's why we're ending up with it not being sold like you've seen corn and beans being sold here recently. I don't want this to get lost in all the uh, USDA talk here today, but I know we had the consumer price index out Thursday morning. We also saw a dollar index under some considerable pressure on the day Thursday. I just wonder your thoughts on how some of that outside macro stuff did or could play into the markets here before we wrap up the week, Christy. Yeah, so interest rates are are going to be a very hot topic to watch moving forward. You know, you've started to see CPI cool down and come in closer than like expectations. We're not seeing those big shocks. You're not seeing that, um, and so the you're going to start to see that question of do they continue with the interest rate hikes or not? And the way they've stated it is that they do believe that you will continue to see some interest rate hikes throughout the year to get to a goal um, by the end of 2023. And, you know, that is still what's on the docket right now. But I think when you look at kind of this macro environment and what it could do, the big question right now is what happens to carries in the market, right? You know, mm -hmm. we used to have these large carries in the market. It was very lucrative to be able to put your crop in the bin, roll the contract here to some deferred contracts. We have not had that recently. You know, we've actually had the opposite where people have been squeezed for their HTAs at the elevator and you haven't had that carry. If interest rate continues to stay where it's at and we continue to have a crop that's not drastically tight, you know, you're not like panicking, you would imagine that you'll start to see these carries start to widen out. And that's what we're going to be watching is I feel like that is a talk that we're going to see a lot of. And if we can get through February with good crop insurance prices, it makes life a lot easier. But if you come in here and you hit a double whammy on producers with a, a falling market through February, and you don't have a whole lot of farmer debt, you know, they're operating loans right now, and you see that start to switch and you see producers start to pick up those operating loans, you're looking at eight to 9% on some of those. And that's not what we wanna see in this environment. So it's very tricky to be watching it. I think it's a key thing, but I think the biggest thing that could impact farmers uh, with the kind of the interest rates and the inflation side of things, what happens with the carry in the market? Do we start to see that grow? I would love to see those carries back to the market. It gives producers a uh, great opportunity to hold that grain and capitalize on a very short time frame of holding that crop. I didn't leave us much time for livestock. Real quick, though, uh, slightly lower cattle and hogs. I'm not surprised with the moves higher in the grains on the day. We mentioned some of those feed numbers as well, how those could factor in. Any thoughts livestock-wise, cattle or hogs here before we wrap up, Christy? Yeah, you look at cattle, you're near those recent highs. I think it's going to take a little bit to get through those. I think you still have some concerns on the economic side of things. Um, but, you know, right now, your main goal is to see if they can get through those recent highs. If you can get through recent highs, I think you you open up some big topside in cattle. But until you can get that, it's kind of that prove it to me mentality that I have in the corn market. Get me through 680 
and then I will be more excited to talk about it. Same thing for cattle. Hogs have really struggled lately. Um, hogs have been all over the place. They've had these big, big swings in the market mm -hmm. and you're struggling here. Exports have been very poor for hogs. And I think that is where you saw the selling pressure today is that the exports just were not there. It was a big miss for them. And it was disappointing to see. And you saw that selling pressure. The big question is you're now kind of at some levels that need to hold for the hog markets that we really haven't been at here for quite some time. Christy, great stuff as always. Appreciate the time. If folks want to reach out to you and the team there at Van On and Company to get some uh, market help with the, their marketing plan, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, you can call us at 1 800 648 5494. Fantastic. Christy Van On, she's at Van On and Company. Thanks so much for joining us as always. Have a great one. We'll get you back on the show soon. Thank you. And again, great stuff there with Christy Van On. She said Van On and Company. You can find them online as well, vanonco.com. Closing livestock numbers from Thursday, February live cattle down 20, 157.55. April down 40, 160.92. Feeder cattle January down $1.182.12. March down 127, 184.27. February hogs down 55, 78.75. And April down 122 at 87.17. Up next, we're going to talk more about the USDA numbers with Kevin McNew, Chief Economist, Farmers Business Network work back with more market talk on the way right after this keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation this is market talk now back to jesse allen and joining us now as we recap the USDA reports for January, plenty of surprises were seen in those reports. With us here today, Kevin McNew, Chief Economist, Farmers Business Network. And Kevin, Happy New Year to you, sir. Good to catch up with you again. Happy New Year, Jesse. Good to see you again. Well, you know, Kevin, uh, we were chatting before we jumped on the air here. What a way to kick off the new year. Plenty of right? surprises with those USDA numbers. Uh, man, you know, I, I don't really know where to start. So I guess I will throw this at you. Out of the surprises, what stood out to you the most with the numbers that USDA gave us for January? Yeah, so I think the, the I mean, there was a lot of surprises. And, and, and I think really the surprise was the lack of downgrade in, in stocks. You know, stocks were expected to move up. And they either kind of stayed where they were, or moved down slightly. And so that was very bullish. Corn and beans reacting very positively. As I sift through the numbers, what stood out to me was just how bad the corn situation was in the U.S. this year. We finally, finally got some realization of that from USDA, not in the form of yield because yield actually went up. But what actually happened was they really took a hammer to harvested acres. And that's where we lost the production. And so when you look across all of the different states, Kansas off 700,000 acres from what we had in November, uh, Texas, Colorado, all the areas we've been talking about in terms of drought, they finally got square on how bad that was in terms of cutting harvested acres. So that was the wild card that got the corn market excited. Not that we you know, had a yield downgrade and certainly the exports have been bad and we reflected that uh, but, you know, I think it's it's endemic of what we've been seeing this this fall and, and winter, which was basis in those areas were off the charts and you just had to scratch your head and go, why? And now we know. So that was kind of the big one. Winter wheat, big surprise there to the negative, you know, mm -hmm. bigger, bigger plantings in winter wheat 
The real surprise as you look at the state-by-state -state breakdown was Texas, the largest winter wheat acres in Texas in 33 years. You got to go back to 1990. It's just wow. unprecedented. So it really caught everyone in the trade by surprise, big winter wheat numbers. Uh, but right now, you know, corn beans are leading, you know, doing a happy dance. It's been a pretty lethargic three or four months. Um, you know, South America, we got the downgrades, a little mm -hmm. more than maybe what we expected. But Argentina, it's a, it's a mess. You know, the precipitation's not showing up. It's been super hot. Brazil's okay, you know, but we're going to see some downgrades in Argentina, which supports as well. I was going to say, with those South American numbers, were you surprised USDA was as aggressive as they were with the Argentine numbers? I know we had the Rosario Grain Exchange numbers out late Wednesday. I I, I don't know. I I guess I wasn't surprised, considering USDA has been known to throw us uh, throw us some surprises here in recent months. What are your thoughts there? Were you were you surprised at all with the cut that they made? Um. Yeah, I'm like you, Jesse. It's like, eh, maybe they'll get aggressive, maybe they won't. I mean, I, I think, you know, we just keep watching the the weather down there. We keep watching the, you know, the satellite imagery, and it's just not good. So, I, I mean, yeah, I think they were justified in being aggressive mm -hmm. here. Um, you know, I think as, as I kind of look more broadly, I mean, like I said, with corn, you know, we got the reflection of exports are weak, and they, you know, USDA downgraded exports. What I see that's kind of shifting in the balance here is the U.S. dollar has been moving in the right direction for farmers. In other words, it's been going down really since October. Mm -hmm. And that was because we sort of saw inflation backing down. We thought interest rates were probably going to, you know, they needed to make another leap up, which they did. Uh, but the U.S. dollar has been correcting course. And I think that could bode well for us in corn exports in the coming months. Clearly, Brazil just... They ate our lunch, you know, I don't know how else to say it <laughs> other than, you know, between the Mississippi River debacle, uh, the strong U.S. dollar in the fall, we had zero game for exports in corn. And maybe that starts to shift in the next three to six months, which I think helps support corn as well. Well, Kevin, I know you authored a global grain markets outlook that FBN released ahead of the USDA numbers on Thursday. As you look at the USDA numbers, how did that correlate to what you're seeing in that outlook report that you guys released as well on Thursday? Yeah, I mean, I think what our takeaway from the global grains discussion was really this, that, you know, over the last decade, we have seen a supply growth from the world in terms of agricultural supply. Agricultural supply has been slowing down relative to demand. And that's kind of the first time we've seen that really in, you got to go back to the 50s. You know, in the 50s, that's kind of when hybridization happened. That's when irrigation and commercial fertilization, all this kind of green revolution movement started in earnest in the 50s. Uh, and that led to ag supply growth globally, really growing quite readily and, and keeping pace or at least doing better than kind of demand growth. And for the last decade, that trend is reversed. We now see demand for corn, wheat, soybeans outstripping supply growth, uh, maybe not in a given year, but, but the trend from year to year is shifting. And so my message to farmers in this time is that, you know, the prices we see today are likely not going to going to turn sharply lower that we're in a world where demand is outstripping supply in terms of growth potential and that's a struggle for prices to kind of keep up 
and and keep moving higher. So I think that's the good side of, of farming. The bad side of farming is going to be the cost side. Mm-hmm. I don't see costs breaking too much in 23. They'll break a little bit. We're seeing some downgrades in fertilizer. You know, natural gas has certainly come down in the last couple of weeks, which should help anhydrous and, and nitrogen prices. But we're not going to get anywhere close to where we were, say, in 21. So, you know, your your cost might be a little better in 23, but don't expect wholesale uh, improvements in 20 in 23. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, profitability will be, you know, a little challenging, but I, th- I still think there's profits to be made there. Well, I know folks can learn more about Farmers Business Network, FBN, by going online, fbn.com. With that, FBN Chief Economist Kevin McNew, thanks for the time today, as always. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Jesse. And we're out of time here today. Coming up tomorrow, Tommy Grisafi with Advanced Trading and Pedro Dineka with MD Commodities. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.